1: And welcome back to the Cover 3 podcast here on CBS Sports. I'm Chip Patterson. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. And listen, we have been paraded around. They are asking, what was this guy like in college? What was this guy like in college? And all three of us, we sat down and we realized that we have our own platform here on the Cover 3 podcast where we not only get to uh, discuss these college football thoughts with our our, our favorite college football talking friends, but share them also with you. Uh, Barton, Tom, gentlemen, how are we feeling right now? Feeling taller than Kyler Murray. You have always been taller than Kyler Murray for as yeah, long as Kyler Murray has lived. <laughs> Pardon what about you.
2: Uh, uh, the the five ten vibes are are resonating around the Simmons households. Uh, you know, we got. I'm thinking about measuring tally and tallying scouts uh, doing their age annual checkup just to see how much they've grown i think all of us just feeling the strength of kyler murray as he continues to to grow and then the combine approaches
1: what is uh is is scout gonna win the three cone drill in the house
2: we're 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 pretty heavy in in our um standing broad jump um workouts right now like we're 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 already making strides there uh, is
1: that from one that, couch to another or like from a couch to the TV? I know she's, she's a climber.
2: Jumping she's big on jumping from the couch down to the uh down to like the top of the couch down to the floor, having some tailbone bruising there <laughs> and so she's gone to to daycare a couple times and her teachers have have questioned mom on you know what kind of abuse is taking place in our home. <laughs> uh, so the the bruising has been a little bit um has uh, been alarming for the, the the teachers, but we tell them, "Look, it's just that's that's hard work. That's 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 just training, you know, the training regimen."
1: So on the agenda for today, uh, we we're going to get into some combine thing, taking a look at you know how the the college and the pro analysis differs with a lot of these guys, particularly this week as we get them in They're skimpies for the underwear Olympics. But let's, let's we we talk about the Kyler Murray vibes uh, as we go prospect by prospect. We got to start with it. Uh, it moving quickly. Past the hilarity of not knowing the difference between an eighth of an inch and uh, 0.1 or a tenth of an inch. And, you know, what moving, I think maybe unless you want to get into hand size, I think that I have been not necessarily uh, impressed, but I think that there's been more of an adjustment to being open to the idea of Kyler Murray as a successful NFL quarterback. The process has moved quickly. We've talked before about how. Um, You know, like Baker Mayfield had a similar position where you thought that he was a, a late first rounder, then all of a sudden he ends up being a number one pick. How much, and Tom, you do mock drafts for CBS Sports, so check out Tom's mock drafts at CBS Sports. How much of Kyler's, in my opinion, faster ascension towards being sort of accepted by the NFL media masses as a potential number one pick, how much of it has to do with Baker Mayfield's success and how much of it do you think really is just sort of an earnest reassessment of Kyler Murray, who at the start of his last season at Oklahoma was nowhere even considered by NFL teams to be a prospect?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of factors more than I think it's just the way that the NFL game itself is changing in which we're seeing, you know, like these spread offenses and shotgun offenses that we have have been prevalent in Kyle for years. They, they'd started kind of making their way into the NFL in recent years with like the Patriots and Packers with Brady and Rogers running those kinds of offenses. But now everybody, for the most part, is running like a shotgun version spread style of the offense in the NFL. And that has led to a reassessment over what's important in the quarterbacks. And I think, like you said, somewhat Baker Mayfield success and seeing spread quarterbacks having more success in the NFL as the NFL has adapted to them instead of forcing them to adapt to their more pro-style offenses is leading to a different way in evaluating the quarterback as far as the concerns about, you know, is he 6'3 and 225 pounds? Because you have to be able to see over an offensive line. And there are some people, I think, who still have that feeling. Like John Elway, I think there was a quote from Elway yesterday where he has concerns over Murray with the Broncos because they do so much of their offense from under center and they're worried about Murray seeing over, you know, an offensive line. and only, as today we found out, 5'10 and one eighth inches. But it's 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 just a statement about how the NFL game is finally starting to catch up and evolve, particularly offensively to what we've seen at the college level, where Murray's height, to me, it's funny because there's been so much attention paid to how tall Murray was going to be when they measured him. And I feel like at this point, the height isn't really what NFL teams were going to be most interested in as much as it was going to be his weight, which came in at 207 pounds. And I think that's good because that's that's more than Russell Wilson weighed when you know he was at the Combine in 2012. So it's I think that's the bigger question that NFL teams had than height. And I think that's probably a good sign going forward, whereas they're looking at a quarterback's talent rather than his measurables.
2: Yeah, and, and I also think it's funny – we we live in this sort of Twitter echo chamber where there's this self-perpetuating cycle of everyone talking about Kyler Murray's height and then the height comes out and he's 5'10 and a tenth and everyone's like oh well hey you know sarcastically saying hey you can draft him now he's he's a half inch higher than taller than people thought sort of bagging on like the NFL evaluation process and the combine process it's like I don't know that we've heard a single GM or coach say, "Well, you know, we really need to see if Kyler Murray's five ten before we're comfortable <laughs> drafting him." Yeah. like that—that's not out there. Like, that, like everyone's <laughs> joking on it, but that's not actually something that people care about in in the minutia of five nine and 7'8 versus five ten and a quarter or whatever. So, I, I think that that sort of stigma has already been squashed with the, you know, the influx of talented, you know, non-prototypical bodies at the quarterback position with the way the game is going. Look, I mean, this is – I mean, I, I am, I've am. i said this on this pod before, I think, but, like, every single day I am more convicted in the belief, like, it is a foregone conclusion. Kyler Murray is going number one in this draft. <laughs> like, it's, it is – it has been written. Like, we are – we are on – a march towards a Kyler Murray number one pick, it's like if you the more you look at what he's done in college, where the game is going, how you compare his season to you know, the, analytically to other great college football quarterbacks, how those quarterbacks are now translating to today's NFL game versus, you know, back in you know, where you know, in, in a in a bygone era where that sort of college game doesn't translate to the nfl like it's all shaping up and lining up now to where kyler murray is going to become a no-brainer first pick and it doesn't you know and, and it doesn't it doesn't hurt that that prospect to when you hear the arizona cardinals gm say that josh rosen is is our quarterback right now um you know th- those those last two words uh are, are leave open the door for for cliff Kingbury to go get his guy um so i just think that this is and, and look, Kyler Murray, t- to me, the height thing is, like, it's all about, it, it, it's all about, if we're talking about, like, batted passes and throwing lanes and, and those sort of things, like, to me, it's more important to have the ability to change arm, arm angles, the ability to throw off-platform and disassociate your upper and lower halves to make throws, than it is to be tall. Um I saw a Twitter video this morning from Laura Rutledge who sort of was defending Kyler Murray and why height doesn't matter. And in that she talked, you know, she mentioned that, you know, the highest batted passes numbers of anyone in the NFL were all six, three or six, four or taller quarterbacks. And I think, you know, we, we've seen Kyler Murray with the improvisational ability to Navigate throwing lanes in front of him, and he had a huge offensive line to throw in front of him at Oklahoma. So, I just think all that stuff's just outdated. He's you know t- today's NFL is just they're they're really it's kind of cool because we're finally at a point where we can just look at who the best players in college are, and it translates so much more accurately and aligns so much more clearly versus the old days where it's like there's a college player and then there's an NFL player, and th- those those two don't always line up.
0: Yeah, and I think Kyler is also going to be helped a lot this year, just simply by the fact that overall this quarterback class isn't very good. Mm-hmm. And with quarterbacks always going to be the absolute most important thing in the NFL, because as we see on a regular basis, you know you you can get to the playoffs with a with an average to slightly above average quarterback, but you you aren't winning a Super Bowl with that guy for the most part. So. I, I think that that's going to help, and I I still don't know if he's going to be the first pick. Although that would be insane if the Cardinals use a first round pick on Josh Rosen last year, and then trade him to draft Murray with their first pick this year. That it'd be like you know college transfer quarterbacks coming to the NFL in a way. But it's I still think Murray has by far the highest ceiling of any of the quarterbacks in this draft. But I just think he also still has a low floor. But I think as we've seen. GMs and teams tend to fall in love with ceilings more than they worry about floors. So I would like you said, I don't I'm not going to predict he's going to be the first pick in the draft. But if by the time the draft rolls around, if he's the first name called, I don't think I would be shocked at this point, which is crazy, because a few weeks ago in my first mock draft, I didn't even have Murray in it because I was as I wrote, I was doing this under the assumption that. NFL teams had never drafted a quarterback of his height in the first round in the history of the league since it started, you know, since the merge between the AFL and the NFL. And until I'd started hearing more confidence from teams and gms and coaches whether it's anonymous sources or you know just open public quotes like i saw today even john gruden was saying john gruden who's if you look at the way he's built his raiders team since he got there is, is almost as old school as it gets as far as that goes even he said he's, he's not really concerned about size when it comes to his quarterback now which is a huge di- shift in direction from what we've seen even you know two to three years ago let alone you know a decade ago so I, I wouldn't be shocked, but I, I still I'm not ready to put him at number one yet. Just myself because I, I have a hard time thinking the Cardinals are going to drop Rosen after one year.
1: Before we uh, continue the our prospect spotlight, Barton, just like as a as a quick aside, what's the as as we're breaking down the archetypes for what a pro player is, what a college player is, you know, like are there heights in the scouting process in recruiting where you uh, as the national director of scouting for 24 seven sports, like do you, do you ever find yourself doing that? I don't know if he's tall enough or is that just trusting the high school and the co- the high school coaches that are coaching him and the college coaches that are recruiting a certain prospect in terms of uh, what you think about high, I guess weight is probably maybe something that might play more of a role just because everyone's body is changing during that process. But do you have any parameters uh, as you're going through it, especially with the quarterback position?
2: Well, Kyler Murray was a mold breaker for us. I mean, I we ranked him uh, for twenty four seven Sports. We have thirty two five stars every year. Five stars are guys that we project to the first round of the NFL draft. Kyler Murray was. We ranked him thirty second in the country. Uh, the last five star, and it was a it was a tough debate to have uh, because at that point, look, basically what we decided with that ranking was, look, we, we understand he's he's not a prototypical first round NFL draft pick from a from a size standpoint. But if there is ever in the history or the future of recruiting coverage, recruiting rankings, if there is ever going to be a 5'10 quarterback that we rank this high, you're not going to get one better than Kyler Murray. Like There will never be a better candidate to rank this high than Kyler Murray. And through the first – few years of his college career, I mean, all the way up until this past year, really, I mean, it looked like that was the wrong decision, to rank him as a five-star. That's what's crazy about the Kyler Murray stuff, is he he still did kind of come out of nowhere, and he's got one year in, and you can look at it as a negative, or you can look at it as a positive in terms of where he's he's developing too, uh, how much more upside and growth there still is to go. Uh, but, yes, I mean, we, at that point, we ranked him much higher than we ever would have imagined. But I think since that time, like this year, uh, you know, we've got a, our, our number two quarterback in the twenty twenty class, a kid named Bryce Young out of out of California. He's like six foot, maybe maybe even a hair under, um, and he's you know we got him like nineteenth in the country right now. It's just a I think it's a different game, and that I uh, you know the uh, and really I think in a lot of cases I I think. You would prefer like my, my ideal quarterback is no longer the six foot six, you know, gunslinger that stands in the pocket and picks people apart. It's now this six two, maybe six two and a half, athletic, really dual threat quarterback that, you know, can can use his legs, can throw out, you know, from outside the pocket and can can navigate chaos. And, you know, that's just where the game's going. I think from for us, if anything, like we're worried about the guys that are too maxed out. We're worried about the guys Particularly on like the line of scrimmage, guys are 330 pounds and look like they're ready for the NFL draft now. Like those guys, typically are, are, you know, are you know, it's much easier to maintain athleticism, to grow, to develop when you're adding weight than when you're trying to cut weight. And and so, uh, you know, it's the Kyler Murray really did sort of break the seal for us in terms of the way we look at things. And I I suspect he's going to do the same thing for the NFL. I mean, I guess in a way Baker Mayfield's done that for the NFL. Um, with the season he had with the sort of non prototype measurements that he produced, uh, yeah, Russell Wilson did in a way, but he was still a third round draft pick. So, I, and but uh, look what Drew Brees continues to like the longevity of his career. I just think, and look, next, you know, next year it's going to be Tua, who is a non prototype body. Yeah, um, uh, you know, I just think it's this is where the game's going.
1: Nice. What, all right, uh, let's, let's, where where's another prospect Barton I'll let you sort of take us wherever you want to go I've got a couple more on my list but I want to uh, make sure that if you got any any strong feelings you're gonna we we get a chance to air them out here is there anywhere where else are you looking where maybe your read of a prospect isn't quite in line with what we're seeing at the NFL level
2: okay I mean there's a couple that are perplexing to me Um,
1: befuddle flabbergasted
2: (laughs) yeah yeah here's one and and you know feel free to 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 tell me i'm wrong or correct me um, but i'm i saw i think even pre-Priscos maybe mock draft is where i saw this and i've seen him sort of dancing around first round range for a lot of people but what what's the deal with Riley Ridley at Georgia <laughs> what when did he become this no doubt NFL talent. And and he, look, I understand the way he looks is impressive. I, I guess he's expected to, to, to test well at the combine. But you tell me that Riley Ridley's a first round draft pick. Why wasn't there, why was there never a game that I watched of Georgia where I'm like just waiting for the Riley Ridley show to start, like <laughs> holding my breath for the Riley Ridley moment? I mean, he, he had, I, I looked it up before this podcast, he had. But uh, watch you guys take a guess. Like, how many 100 <laughs> yard receiving games do you think Riley Ridley had in his three year career at Georgia? Probably one. One,
1: and it wasn't against Power Five competition. I'll even add that.
2: Under zero. He had zero <laughs> 100 yard receiving games. The, well, the, how many?
0: The, how many hundred yard receiving games did any Georgia receiver have the last few years, though?
2: Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, sure, but I don't think any of them are first round draft picks. <laughs> I mean. And, and and you know his career high for catches in a game is six. I mean, I, I like look again. I I acknowledge he's a talented kid, and you know maybe a third round pick based on a, but like if he's sneaking in the first round, like I I don't understand. Like I guess to me a first round draft pick is somebody that dominates. Like I've never seen Riley really dominate a game. I've seen him make phenomenal plays. I've seen him flash. But to to go your college career and never dominate a single game, like I don't. I would love to hear. I don't. Know, maybe maybe just someone that's dug into the film gets it more than me. I, I would be curious if a Georgia fan is would tell me I'm stupid. Yes, um, well, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I Georgia it. fans gonna tell you you're
1: stupid for
2: sure. That's would just they? like. <laughs> would they? I don't. So I don't think know. Georgia fans are just like looking at, at, at Georgia games and or, or Georgia fans right now are looking at Riley Ridley first round mocks and be like, yeah, man. Whew. Man, he yeah he he he's been he's been a no doubt talent for us this year. Like I don't know, like I I would almost suspect Georgia fans scratching their heads too. But I I would be I, I would be curious what what they think.
1: What do you think,
0: Tom? As far as Ridley's concerned? Yeah.
1: I uh, I mean you've got I, to do mock drafts, and I I mean I just I, I I will say that I have not had
0: Ridley in either of my first round mocks, nor have I considered him in a first round mock simply because and it's not so much Ridley as much as I feel like I don't know how many receivers if you look at what how this draft class is cuz it is so heavy on defensive linemen and the edge rusher types I just Don't know how many receivers in this draft are going to be first round picks based on the what else is available and just based on the overall talent level of the receivers, which could be one of the reasons Riley Ridley's kind of moving up because it's it's not the deepest class. But I mean, I would I would rather have DK Metcalf. I would rather have Kelvin Harmon. I would rather have Nikhil Harry. I would rather have a lot of guys before I got to Riley Ridley. I'd rather have Marquise Brown. I'd rather have AJ Brown. I might even want Debo Samuel before I really get into interested in riley ridley so yeah I, I understand what you're saying
2: i agree with all those guys and and to and you know to be fair like this could be some sort of first round buzz like early kind of names floating around smoke getting thrown out for you know maybe this is one where i'm just you know i just saw it a couple of days ago and it, it caught my attention and by the time the draft actually gets here ridley will have sunk back down to a third or fourth round pick like I, it, this could be a a, a conversation that that doesn't uh you know doesn't have stay in power but it, it just you know if, if i mean if, if if you got uh, a first round draft pick at wide receiver and he has like 700 career yards i mean i feel like that's an indictment on georgia too if he's that if he is that kind of talent and if he goes on to have that kind of in a first round nfl career then i think that's interesting he wasn't used more effectively
1: jake Fromm was an effective enough quarterback and I mean, you're right that based on uh having Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, DeAndre Swift, um, Lil Holyfield, like it's it is not been uh you know, it's it's not like Fromm's out here going twenty eight for thirty two and spreading the ball around and he was competing with, you know, Miko Hardman, but I think Jake Fromm's an effective enough quarterback that if Riley Ridley was uh, a strong enough wide receiver in one-on-one situations to create separation, he would get more looks and more yards. Isn't that fair? I mean, and yeah, you're going up against some of the best cornerbacks in the country, in the SEC, but now you're talking about going up against NFL cornerbacks? I would, I would, I would take all of the wide receivers that y'all mentioned, and I would even add J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. I'd take him ahead of Riley Ridley.
0: See, I I worry about Arcega-Whiteside at the next level just because I don't know how well he's going to be able to get off
1: the line. Just based on, uh, like... I mean, he's big and he's strong.
0: It's just, but based on his athleticism, I don't know if he's going to be winning. You know, if if you put a good corner on him and put him in press, I don't know how effective he'll be in the NFL. All
2: right. I mean, Arcega-Whiteside's whole career. Has been like me looking at him being like, how is he doing that? Like, yeah. how is he just, it's just how is he being just boxing out than every defensive back <laughs> in the country? And how can none of these guys break up one of these jump balls? And so I, it's hard for me to envision that translating in the NFL, but I'm, 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 I'm sort of at this point, I'm like, well, you know, hey, uh, <laughs> the thing about it is you prove me wrong.
0: Yeah, the thing about our Sega Whiteside that I it, I mean this in a very complimentary way is when you watch him play, he plays like he's six five, and then you see that he's only six two, and it's like really confusing <laughs> as to like you said, how is he able to box all these guys out and win all these jump balls and you know hype? He's only six two, and I feel like in the NFL he's not gonna have that same kind of success against nfl cornerbacks and defensive backs that he was able to you know to do against college guys and plus like i said i just don't think he's fast enough to get the kind of separation he's going to need
1: tom you mentioned that this is a loaded defensive line group where as as you're looking at this are how do you sort how do you sort them out um into into basic tiers and is there anywhere where you feel like the general nfl draft nicks are have maybe someone slotted in the in the wrong bucket or the wrong tier in terms of how this group that like man when I when I look at it on paper I get to 12 guys that I think I would I would like, I would be thrilled if I was an NFL general manager to draft in the first round because I feel like there are 12 defensive line slash edge rushers in this draft class that can step in and if healthy be very productive for an entire season so how, how are you sorting them all out right now
0: uh i mean right now i i think i'm in agreement with most people that i have both at number one and then after that it's kind of i don't know it's 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 gonna be a personal preference thing i think for each team i think josh allen is going to impress a lot of people at the combine and i get you know he just had a huge season at kentucky but he doesn't have the overall production i think i would want ed oliver is going to be a very interesting case for me because he's not really an edge rusher but you know, Even from the inside, interior of a defensive line, he's able to get pressure on a quarterback and disrupt plays in the backfield. He reminds me, both in his build and just ability-wise, he reminds me of Aaron Donald. The difference is, when I watched Aaron Donald at Pitt, Aaron Donald did not take plays off. Ed Oliver will take a play off. He's not always going 100% at least not from my eye from what I'm watching him. So I I do have questions about his motor and I just feel like at the combine he's going to have ridiculous he's going to have ridiculous performances in the drills. He's going to have great measurements and he's probably going to climb up boards because of that. It's just I don't know if teams pay really close attention to his tape how they're going to feel about him. And then I the one thing that I think that I'm having a weird time with is my evaluation of Clemson defensive lineman versus how I th- I see that a lot of draft Knicks and NFL types are evaluating their defensive lineman. I think I've been pleasantly surprised by the rise in stock of Cullen Farrell because I think that in the NFL, he's very much the kind of player that they're looking for these days. And I think that he's getting more attention than I thought he probably got even while he was in college because of who he was surrounded by. But on the flip side of that, there's Dexter Lawrence who I think as far as defensive tackle it's him Simmons and Oliver I think are the three best defensive tackles in this draft and I don't think that the separation between them is all that great but when you look at the way that the draft guys have been evaluating Lawrence this is somebody that they're not even sure is going to be in the first round and to me that's mind-blowing because I just look at what he's able to do for the interior of your line especially with, with helping everybody around him because he commands a double T on every play he could collapse the pocket from the inside which is one of the most I would say valuable aspects you could have on your defensive line when it comes to pat- rushing the passer quarterbacks most of them have the ability to you know, elude pressure from the outside because that's what they're used to but it's when the pocket collapses from the inside when a quarterback typically has absolutely no idea what to do because it's a rare thing that's why Aaron Donald is so valuable to that Rams defensive line that's why I think Ed Oliver is probably going to get drafted pretty high and I think Dexter Lawrence brings that same kind of explosiveness and ability but For some reason, he's just not being rated as highly as I think he should be. And I think that he's going to end up maybe slipping a little bit. He could probably be a huge steal for somebody.
2: I'll bet you that Ed Oliver gets picked apart and sort of uh, crapped on a little bit as this draft process extends. And as we get towards it, you know, he's going to, I don't know where he'll, he'll go in the first round, obviously, but he'll kind of be a mid-round guy or you know in the teens. I, I'm I, I'm not sure he' in the second best or, or the best player in this draft. Like I guess I ultimately think Dexter or, um, Ed Oliver is going to be a guy that we look back on in this draft process and, and say why didn't we just trust the tape? I mean, you can you don't have to know who Ed Oliver is. You don't have to know to keep an eye on them you don't have to know anything about anything you don't have to know anything about football to turn on a Houston game and see Ed Oliver doing just stupid stuff and I really think you know if you put Ed Oliver on Ohio State's off defensive line can you imagine the hype he would have gotten and the, the, the things he would have done in big games with all those other guys that offensive linemen have to deal with. He is he was a one man show at Houston, double and triple teamed. And and yeah, like I I mean maybe he took some plays off, but wouldn't you take some plays off? <laughs> he was tired. <laughs> you know, if you're at Houston and you're playing for nothing and you're the and you're a one man show on defense and I'd take some plays off too probably. But man, when he is like when he is when he's turned on and motivated like holy cow like that you know, dude is it does some of the most unbelievable stuff i've ever seen on defense alignment so i i i really think that whether he gets drafted like it I, I still think he's one of the best two or three players in this class
0: yeah it, like i said i compare him to aaron donald so it's like when he yeah. goes he goes <laughs> yeah.
2: it's it's not
0: fun to deal if you're a guard Good luck, <laughs> but your center better be there for you to help, and maybe your tackle should be shading a little bit your way too. It's just just for some added bonus. But no, when when he's going, when he's trying, there's he's one he's definitely one of the best linemen in this entire draft it's just i i just can't help but knowing the way that nfl people think like you said there's going to be so many you know anonymous scout red flag quote pick apart type things going on with oliver and based just on sometimes of some of the stuff that you see and then kind of with all the stuff with major Applewhite at the end of the year when you know he wasn't playing and there have been some Questions about whether that was actually injury related or if it was just saving himself for the NFL related, and I'm fine with either. To be perfectly honest with you, but some NFL teams don't view that the same way.
1: I listen. How are you? How are you gonna criticize Ed Oliver for quitting on Major Applewhite when that whole Houston defense quit on Major Applewhite in the bowl game against Army?
0: I, I think those two things are related. I
1: think I think Ed Oliver was just a little bit ahead of the curve on that one. Uh, and I'm look. I, I think Ed Oliver's a superstar. I would I would take him in the top five. I I just I that was that's that's me going back to the idea that if if you are the what first five star Houston history, right?
0: I would assume so.
1: Um and you've been just playing at, you've been the best player on the team from the moment that you've been there, you've gone through a coaching change. Um I just think there's a little bit more motivation when uh when the lights come on. I mean, there weren't were we, if I remember correctly, were we having the same motor question about Jadavian Clowney coming out of college? Yeah, uh, yeah, a little bit, yeah, yeah. And I mean, listen, Clowney's had some health issues, yeah. but when he is playing for a paycheck, he does not seem to be lacking motivation. <laughs> no. So, um, let's see. I wanted what? to oh, go ahead, Barton.
2: You you had some. I want to hear who else you were because I feel like Chip. You you had some guys that you were scratching your head about from your college perspective versus how the NFL views them too. I'm curious who else you you had your eye on.
1: Well, I I really, (laughs) it started with uh, both Daniel Jones and Drew Locke um, because I, I believe that you go Kyler and Dwayne Haskins and then I don't see, uh, I don't see another quarterback that I like in the first round. And I, I understand that there's probably going to be quarterbacks taken in the first round, but I'm starting to work through this theory that, Quarterbacking became so valuable and so much money became invested in quarterbacks that we really have developed uh like an archetype for like can throw ball really well. And when you put them out there in drills and you start spinning that pill, it all looks really, really good. And you you showed the right footwork. Like there are all these all these boxes that can be checked. And Drew Locke just like shattered all kinds of SEC records in a very productive offense at Missouri, but I just I can't help but think, and maybe this goes back, Tom, to your question about the you know ceiling and floor. Like I I don't think there is a very high ceiling for any of the quarterbacks outside of Murray and Haskins, and so as uh, the the Senior Bowl, like our our buddy Ryan Wilson goes. Uh, to the Senior Bowl and comes back really liking Daniel Jones. Just, just thought that in all the workouts, just looked so good. And you know, anybody who's who's seen Drew Locke get out there, just making all the throws, just awesome arm. And I just wonder if the value of awesome arm and all of these other non-competition quarterback uh, analysis. I just, I wonder if so much has been poured into it that there's not that much of a separation in the basics and the separation goes back to your production and how you perform in competition.
0: I will just say that if I'm a fan of the team that drafts Drew Locke, I'm going to be concerned. Yes, he's just Drew Locke. <laughs> he, you know who Drew Locke is? Who? In, in my opinion, in my estimation, he's Josh Allen, but without the running ability. That's kind of how I see him. He's not He's not that kind of athlete. So he's, he's very inaccurate. I just, I, I don't, he's going to be the dude that they fall in love with because he could throw real far and he's got good size, but I just, I do not see drew Locke turning into much of anything at the NFL level. And I think the one guy we're going to see climb through the combine in the coming weeks is a guy that you don't really hear much about at all right now. At least when it comes to like first round possibilities, I think will Greer is going to climb.
1: Mm. He is, he he has gone uh, from like a, he has gone from "Oh my gosh, he's coming back!" I can't believe he's he's uh, not going to the NFL. He's going to be a Heisman front runner. He's going to make West Virginia a Big Twelve championship contender. And I, you're right. I don't. I haven't heard him mentioned as one of the top four or five names for quarterbacks in this NFL draft class.
0: Yeah. No, I so, oh, go ahead.
2: Well, I was just gonna say, go ahead. I mean, you're you're talking Will Greer. I want to get back to Drew relocked uh, for a second, but but you can fin- finish your point. On, on oh, cause it, cause I was just
0: gonna say because I I've started doing my uh st- like statistical analysis of these guys that I you you know that I do every spring, and it's I've been caught off guard by how Will Greer is performing. Like when I'm breaking this stuff down, and I think that analytically, as far as that approach is concerned, anyway, I think Will Greer is going to be probably pretty popular in the in the stat nerds. St- quadrant of NFL drafting and I think that depending on how which front office you're dealing with some some value those analytics more than others but I think that when you just look at his performance in those areas that actually at the college level project better towards NFL success I think Greer's been better than everybody that's not named Haskins and Murray and he's actually been better than Haskins in a few of these areas too so I I just think that he's somebody that we're going to see climb as we get closer to the draft.
2: All right, Drew Locke. So, well, on, on Drew Locke, I want to ask you guys this. So, as as you have your skepticism of Drew Locke, and I think it's fair, if Drew Locke gets drafted, you know, 20th or something, uh, and goes on to become Matt Stafford, is that, has he exceeded your expectations then, I assume? Yes. Because yes. I, I think that's the one cop that I can. See see is like a guy that's got a big arm. Maybe he's never like the best quarterback in the league. Maybe he's not in the conversation with sort of the very top uh, upper class top tier quarterbacks in the league but is has his moments puts up big numbers. Um, is, is that a fair description of what Matt Stafford is? Yes. because Matt- so, I, I, I still think Drew Lock has that as that in him. Um, and and and, and so that's sort of I, – because I, I see that from Drew Locke. I don't think he's like Paxton Lynch. I don't think he's just like a total mirage. No. I, I, I think he is very talented. I think he helped himself a lot this year in terms of, of being able to sort of go through his progressions and and, and that kind of thing, uh, be more pro style. But I, I, I think he's capable of being a starter like a quality starter in the NFL, but not a guy that can put you on your back, put a, put a team on his back and lead him to a, you know, a super bowl. I, I, so I think that's still kind of in the cards for him. I think the two guys that could become, you know, I think luck and, and Haskins are those sort of guys. Uh, um, not luck. What I say, Haskins and, and Murray are those kind of guys. And, and I think to me, Locke is, could be the Matt Stafford of the class. And then, outside of that I'm not I'm not sure I see anyone I mean can can you envision Daniel Jones becoming like a Carson Wentz or something uh yeah maybe uh, um but I also think like I was just as as we were talking here I was just circling back and going through old drafts and it's kind of interesting that it feels like we've reached an era where w- there's not a lot of the Look, we kind of figure out who the top quarterbacks are in the draft and and we collectively and maybe we're taking our cues from the NFL G- GMs and scouts, but we collectively sort of have been right about who the, the, the top quarterbacks are and their varying level of success is uh, obviously kind of is, is not always consistent. But what we are consistently learning is like if they're not a first round guy, typically they're not a. But they're not really a franchise quarterback. Like, when was 2012? As far as I can tell, was the last draft where like we really saw some some action in, in after the first round where guys sort of hit. Whether it's Russell Wilson in the third, Nick Foles in the third, uh, um, Kirk Cousins in the fourth. Uh, but aside from that, you had Dak Prescott a couple years ago, and that's really kind of it. Other than that, every quarterback that's starting are really first round, maybe an early second somewhere in there. But like they're really first rounders, and so. I think I think we're going to, you know, we can kind of try to talk ourselves into a Daniel Jones or, uh, I don't know who are the other, you know, whether it's Will Greer or Jarrett Stidham or whoever else there is. But I, I really think, like, it's kind of, if you're not getting Murray or Haskins, and I think, I think Locke is in that next just sort of, you can talk yourself into a first rounder. I think you can be, you can be, um, Validated down the road, but beyond that, I think we're just talking about a bunch of, you know, holdover starters, you know, uh, gap fillers, and 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 the top two.
0: Yeah, that 2012 draft was funny because the first round quarterbacks were Andrew Luck, who obviously, you know, that's fine. Then it was RG three, Tannehill, and Whedon. Meanwhile, the quarterbacks selected in the third round or later were Russell Wilson, Nick Foles, Kirk Cousins. It's like the third round was better than the first round in that draft.
1: What's Whedon I- doing right now?
0: Uh he's probably well, he was what? He was twenty-eight when he was drafted, so he's
1: thirty-five now. So now he's running for president. Yeah, he's running for president. <laughs> <laughs> um in the two 2000- thousand 15 draft they had learned their lesson the only first round quarterbacks were winston and mariota and that's because the year before that the first round quarterbacks were blake bortles johnny Manziel, and um teddy bridgewater didn't go well did not go well
2: (laughs) but i don't think so i don't think that draft so bortles Manziel, bridgewater but also in that draft so yeah Derek carr was the second rounder there um and then you had Garoppolo, second rounder. So those were really the two guys in that class. But, but so, so, but after that, there was nothing. You know, Tom Savage in the fifth, Aaron Murray, AJ McCarran, Zach <laughs> Mettenberger, David Falls, Keith Winning from Ball State, Taj Boyd, Garrett Gilbert of the AAF. Like, there was, there was still probably like if you needed a quarterback, yeah, it would have been smart to have been able to identify Garoppolo and and and. Derek Carr, perhaps, but aside from that, like, I mean, hey, Blake Bortles was, and Teddy Bridgewater, at least starter quality guys, um, Manziel was just, he's, he's the Manziel, but uh, I, I, I don't think we're, I think it's been a few years since we've just, like, totally, you know, the, since the fifth round guy is the best in the draft.
0: Yeah, th- those days I think are over because it's yeah, just, I, I, think I
2: think we're getting it's, better at this stuff.
0: Yeah, it's partially improving and evaluating QBs. And then it's also nobody wants to wait anymore because they've become so much more important even than they already were. So it's like you're reaching on them early and you're also getting slightly better at figuring them out.
1: Much more draft and combine talk to come, including some of our personal favorite prospects right after this. As one door closes, another opens. The 2020 fantasy baseball season is over, but 2021 prep is just beginning. Join Scott White and me, Frank Stample, on Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, as we take an early look at position previews, review mock drafts, and react in real time to the MLB hot stove. Not only that, we'll be welcoming in some of the best guests in the industry to try and figure out what was real and what wasn't from the abbreviated 60-game season. Listen Tuesdays and Thursdays on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts are found.
2: Hey guys, this is Brian Campbell, and along with Luke Thomas, we are the hosts of Morning Combat, your one-stop shop for all things combat sports. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we'll hit you up with a brand new episode looking at the biggest headlines in boxing, mixed martial arts, and so much more. That's not to mention bonus content every Tuesday and Thursday, featuring interviews with the biggest names, dissected fight breakdowns, and even a little ridiculousness from time to time. We surely take the fight game seriously, but never ourselves. So why not give us a try for all your combat needs before and after the big fights. It's Morning Combat. Download and subscribe today wherever you consume fine audio.
1: All right, um, Barton, top prospect we haven't mentioned here that you're the most excited about watching in the NFL.
2: Uh, I'm going to go off the board a little bit here. Um, And I don't know if this is – like I hadn't – that question is pretty – broad and I hadn't I hadn't necessarily thought through it but one guy that I am I I think pretty bullish on um that I think is has a chance to be really good in the NFL is uh Chuma Adoga at USC the offensive tackle he's going to we're sitting here on on Thursday morning yep so I don't know when the O-line test but he's gonna he is gonna blow the combine up he is a freak athlete for an offensive lineman, he's he's like six three and a half. I can't remember what he measured in earlier this week, but he's you know I think it was in like the six three and seven range or something like that. Uh, but he's got really long arms, and I just think he got sucked into that USC mess where they didn't develop any offensive linemen. Their strength program was 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 garbage. Their their program itself was just not. It hasn't been effectively getting guys ready to, to to play their best football on the field and I think if you're talking like I I remember just two years ago uh, going to you know, I saw some USC spring practice and I mean that dude pops like off the field like tuma doga is another guy like you don't have to be an o line expert to to walk in there and say well who is that guy I mean, he moves like that. He's he's athletic in the in a way you have to be, I think, to be an offensive tackle in the NFL. And even though he's a little undersized, uh, I just think his his athleticism is something that's going to like surprise people. And and I think, given that I feel like he wasn't maximized at USC, I I, I got a feeling he's going to be really good in the NFL. So that that's one that I'm uh, you know offensive line, not the sexiest pick, but I, I really think that dude's got a chance to surpass what his college expectations have, have sort of presented.
1: I mean, I I think there's plenty of room for movement when it comes to the ranking of offensive linemen in this draft class. It shouldn't be yes. hard for him to uh quickly put himself right up there with the Jonah Williams and the uh Dalton Risner's of the wor- world. Uh Tom. Uh
0: all right. Since Rob Gronkowski appeared in the NFL, NFL teams have been desperate to find their own version of Gronkowski and there have been Travis Kelsey's and guys that have been able to fill that role a bit but I think that they've fallen into a trap was where they're looking for the athleticism of Gronkowski and they're looking for big guys who can you know get out you can line them up in in the slot and have them run and they can outrun linebackers and safeties and they tend to overlook the physicality that Rob Gronkowski also brings to the position, which brings me to the two Iowa tight ends, Noah Fant <laughs> and TJ Hawkinson. For the most part, no matter where you look, Noah Fant is rated higher than TJ Hawkinson on, and in mock drafts and, you know, the draft Nick things. And it's because he's, you know, he, he's 6'4", he's 230 pounds, he's, he's faster, he's more of an athlete. These things are true. But T.J. Hawkinson is 6'5", 243 pounds, and he's not slow, and he's not unathletic. But what he is able to do is, yes, you can line Noah Fant up in the slot. You can line T.J. Hawkinson up in the slot. But you know where you can't line up Noah Fant in the NFL? On the line? Next to, next to a tackle <laughs> and asking him to block an outside linebacker or a defensive end. Because he's not going to really be able to do anything other than maybe chip before going out for a route. T.J. Hawkinson will block and he will be happy to do so because he's a big strong boy who knows how to block just as well as most of the offensive line that we've seen Iowa produce over the last few years so in my mind while Noah Fant has a chance to be an Evan Engram type or maybe an Eric Ebron type who you know recently had last year had nice little career what's I can't think of the word but he had a nice little. He had a great season with Andrew Luck. He caught a bunch of touchdowns. Let's go, heels! Yeah, and Eric E. and Engram, who is still in the Giants because he's a great athlete but hasn't had the production to match. I think Noah Fant's the most likely to be that guy. And I think TJ Hawkinson might be the second tight end off the board who proves to be far and away the best tight end in this class and probably has a very good shot of being, like, you know. his his former Iowa teammate George Kittle a dude that got overlooked because he wasn't really used much in Iowa's offense and he stayed in as a blocker a lot of the time and they put him in an NFL offense and holy crap this guy's really good that's who TJ Hawkinson reminds me of and I think he's going to be the next in that line and I think that anybody who's looking for a tight end should take Hawkinson before they take Fant
1: the Kittle bump has been so real this year for both those guys
0: Oh, but Hawkinson, no. Hawkinson is awesome.
1: I it, it's a draft pet peeve of mine: the obsession with tight ends. I I'm I'm not a tight end hater, but I I will say that if if I was an NFL general manager, I w- I would be taking other positions before tight end.
2: But, just, oh, but it could do just so on, much for
0: your offense when you get the right one though. I
2: know just on principle, you just don't use one. You don't want tight ends anywhere are close to your offense. No,
1: I just think that they're in terms of like the draft. I just think that they are overvalued in the draft process. I think that there, there are far, far more misses of trying to find uh, a Rob Gronkowski or a Travis Kelsey. than there you, are surefire uh, dominant tight ends, especially you want when, my
0: bulletin board take chip. Yeah. I don't just want Hawkinson before Fant. I want Hawkinson before any receiver.
2: Whoa! Draft.
0: Nah. Nice.
2: I like that. I don't I love, love this receiver draft. No. What do we think about DK Metcalf? I love the, him. The great, the, the incredible Hulk.
0: I love it. I love his measurables. I think that he's fast and is explosive. My problem with him is can he catch?
2: Yeah, and can he even like run routes? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying he can't. You don't know it. All they do is run a stop and a go.
0: Uh, <laughs> Got two so routes. That's the thing. That's the thing that gets overlooked when it comes to receiver. Like, I feel like now that quarterbacks from spread offenses are merging into NFL offenses better than receivers from spread offenses are because in so many of these offenses, the receivers aren't asked to run more than one or two routes. They don't have to learn the entire tree. And they get to the NFL, and these teams are like, holy crap, we've got so much to teach these guys.
2: Like... ZK Metcalf could very well be a bust. Like, I'm just putting it out there. He could very well be a bust. But you can't... But if you, like... If you take someone over him and you just look at what his he's about to test in the combine, you look at the way he looks, and if he ends up hitting and he ends up being Calvin Johnson or or Terrell Owens or, or one of these big freak show wide receivers and you passed on him, I mean, that's – in retrospect, that is a – you will look like an idiot because how can you look at him and say – and pick him apart? But I just think you have to acknowledge that there is like a little bit of – of just uncertainty with him and just the way, I mean, he's, he is, he's an old school receiver. I mean, he's, he's the avatar receiver uh, in the, in sort of the more pro style traditional sense of, of the NFL offenses than today's sort of separation receiver that we're seeing more, more popular. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by him. He could be Julio Jones, but he, you know, I, I, I think he's, he might not be too. So I'm. I'm just very interested in kind of what his career trajectory went because I. You know, we even had that. I even thought through that in his high school ranking too because it was the same sort of discussion. And it looks like I was wrong Like we had him, I think you know, hundredth in the country or something. Um, he probably should have been a five star or at least borderline five star. And I'm just curious whether, you know, what what his what what his NFL draft status is going to be and kind of what his career looks like. I'm just, he, he's a freak show.
1: Yeah. I think he's going to be all right. I would take that. Yeah, I, and, I, I, and
2: I don't look. Yeah. I'm I don't want to dog. I'm, I'm not like doubting. He'll be a good player. I just, I'm just, he is very much old school and, and bucks the trend of where we're going towards sort of the technician at receiver, the guy that, that wins with separation more than just guy that wins with physical freak traits.
1: Um, the player that I like, I know that the position normally does not get valued at a high level, but if you need uh consistency, I, I just, I think that Devin white could be a 12 year pro like t- nine or 10 year pro bowler and like have four all pro seasons. I just think, I think that he has been such a consistent high level performer and I've loved just sort of like everything about his approach to the game. And I, I don't know where Devin white is on the mock drafts right now. I remember a while back that he maybe was edge first round that might've changed, but I think any hard study of Devin white LSU film and especially (laughs) what, uh, what happened when he left the field for, uh, for that LSU defense, whenever he was having injury troubles, I, that was, that was just, that's one of my favorite prospects in this class I know that doesn't relate specifically to uh, to one individual position or a team need, but one hundred percent guaranteed, you are making your defense better from day one if you get Devin White on the team.
0: I have White at twenty fourth to the Raiders in
1: my last mock.
2: Yeah, I mean he's yeah he's a no doubt he's a no doubt guy. Um, Those are the players I, I
1: like. I like I like the uh, I I know one hundred percent you are going to come in. And you are going to be a, a successful pro. And you might have four incredible seasons, but this is uh, ma- this is, of the 53 spots that we have on this roster, you are added value.
0: Yeah, I, I wrote in my mock, I said, you know, because I got him at 24th. I said, if you watch Devin White in college, you're having a hard time believing he fell this far in the trap. Yes.
2: <laughs> Devin White ran like a 10, 700 meter dash in high school at 230 pounds. Yeah. So he's, he's going to be a combine he'll, – he'll be the talk of the combine this week he's, as well. And, and I just – I don't know. I could kind of see him being like a Ray Lewis, you know, Hall of Famer, all-pro, just alpha leader kind of guy that just is – even if, you know, from a playmaking standpoint, yes, but from a just leading the huddle um, – being a guy that holds everyone else accountable—I mean, I, I feel like that's the kind of presence he can end up having on a roster too.
1: Um, well, we've uh, we've gone about an hour here. You want to save? Don't. You want to save teams that are going to take a drop back for uh, for another show?
2: Yeah. Can I can I throw one more out that I'm a little bit that I'm that I'm interested in?
1: Yeah. No, let's wrap it up with all draft stuff. Let's go.
2: So, are, are you guys sort of looking up at? NC State having like Ryan Finley, Kelvin Harmon, Jacoby Myers, Garrett Bradbury, Tyler Jones, all getting this NFL draft hype and buzz, and being like, "Wait a minute, was was, was NC State even that good this year? <laughs> like, they were 43rd in the country in yards per play, and they've got a a, a border like a second round qu- quarterback, a first round receiver, a top three round receiver, uh." Garrett Bradbury, one of the best centers in the draft, a, another offensive line. Like, what's – what What did <laughs> –
0: what, and, this, and this a year after its entire defensive line was drafted.
2: <laughs> yeah, like I, what are we to make of this? Like, I don't know. Is this a good thing or a bad thing for NC State? <laughs> because I don't understand how they haven't been a little bit better given how much talent they're producing. <sighs> I, they're very average. They've just been very – they've just been an eight and four – Team that is that is gonna give Clemson a good game every once in a while. NC State, <laughs> like, the USC
0: of the ACC.
2: <laughs> I mean, props for them for developing these guys, but man, and you know, and then their their uh, offensive coordinator gets a head job at Appalachian State. Like everyone's winning except for NC State. Back to back nine
1: win seasons is a level of success. Hey, they had they
0: got my over for me on our season win total bets.
1: They've won, I guess.
2: I they won. Guess. Maybe I'm underestimating what they did. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're right. Like 9 wins is good. It's just I don't know, like the ACC wasn't wasn't like they got 9 wins in in you know, the SEC West, like it was a very underwhelming 9 wins.
1: They've got 11 and wins and and it's, so it's back-to-back 9-win seasons, 6 and 2 conference record in 2017, which is a very good. I mean, and one of those losses is Clemson. It's, it, Five and three this year. Uh, they also, I think they lost to Clemson. Syracuse would have been another one of those losses. Um, I I think that what is going to happen to Ryan Finley is probably the ultimate loss here because when you put on uh, a more detailed study of Ryan Finley, someone who was getting very high grades before uh, the 2018 season, his tape against Clemson, and his tape against Texas A and M in the bowl game is bad. He played Not great. He played very poorly against good teams. I do think Kelvin Harmon is the real deal, and I do think Garrett Bradbury is the real deal. And some of those, and some of that's been going on even before then. Like you think about Joe Tooney, who landed at the Patriots. Um, obviously, we talked about the defensive line. Bradley Chubb had been on the on the radar for a while, but it's I I think that you the way that you feel about it, Barton. Is that you recognize that player development and the general infrastructure at NC State is strong enough uh, to have these losses and not have a complete collapse in success, and that's what makes you, after seeing all these NFL players leave, probably come back to the same conclusion when we're doing our win totals next year, and you're going to be like, oh, seven and five or eight and four.
2: <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I I do think it's it's at the end of the day, it's it's a it's a feather in the cap for NC. Like NC State fans should feel good about it. it Doran it has been pod. there for six
1: years. That I mean, no, wait, Doran has been there for seven seasons. That's a pretty long stay. And they were 0-8 in the ACC in their first season. He had three straight sub-500 conference records. And this has been the breakthrough. And I think the NFL draft picks have been the reason for the breakthrough.
2: I think uh, D'Antonio Burnett, their strength and conditioning coach is uh, like I, I like to sort of try to figure out who's. I mean, clearly, Iowa's guy is the real deal. Clearly, Alabama's guy is the real deal. You know, they're, oh you know, yeah. Clearly, <laughs> clearly <laughs> Dwight Gall at Penn State's the real deal. I think D'Antonio Burnett's probably deserves to kind of start getting in that in that range too, just given the way that they. I mean, they do develop and they don't, they're not getting five star recruits. They're getting, you know, whether that's an evaluation thing or whether guys are just going to inevitably be, get better from a physical standpoint on campus, uh, clearly they're doing something right on that side of things.
1: Well, uh, do you know him personally? I think his name's, his nickname's Thunder, maybe?
2: I don't know him personally. I mean, uh, I've, I've, you know, I I've, I've follow him on Twitter, I think, just because I was curious. He um, played for I,
1: NC State and I think he played on one of the Philip Rivers teams that was like, A program like like a a Hallmark season for the and a Hallmark time for the NC State football program was in the early 2000s, and I think that he was a part of that. and And having him as a connection to all that, I mean, that's a much more local level thing here. But I think that's been it's not only been his work with the players, but his work with the community has just been huge for someone who's like a an outsider. I mean, Dave Doran's not from the state of North Carolina. I think uh, Burnett's been big part of that yeah um, any any other prospects?
2: I mean that's that's probably good for me. There, there was one like another guy that I thought was start, you know was getting a little bit of first round buzz that I was sort of puzzled by was Mac Wilson at Alabama. I bet that first round buzz starts to diminish a little bit though. Um, not that he's not a good player because he is, but in the in the pantheon of like Alabama linebackers, that have come through that program and that, that we're used to seeing in terms of, like, that first-round Alabama linebacker impact. I don't know that we ever got that quite from Mac Wilson. Um, you know, I, I there's a lot of moments seared in my head of, like, him, you know, getting a one-on-one opportunity in space and missing the tackle. Like, there's too many of those for me to, like, put him up there with the, you know, the uh, Dante Hightowers and the Reuben Fosters and, and the guys that we're sort of used to seeing. Uh, you know, he's still a top three round guy probably and a good player. I just you know when when you're comparing him to Devin Devin White and and some of the other first round just all position talents like I, that was another one I, I've seen in a couple first round mocks that I'm like, really? Like I don't think Alabama fans would, would tell you that he's a first round guy, but you know, we'll see.
0: I'm not a big Dalton Risner fan. You mentioned him earlier, Chip when it came to the offensive line. At the NFL level, he's going to be a guard. And if you're going to draft him as a tackle, you're probably going to be disappointed because I think the, I, I just watching him at Kansas State, I just don't think he's got good enough footwork and good enough lower base to really play tackle. I don't think he's quick enough and strong enough. He's a bit of a bender at times. So I think that you're going to want to move him inside where he's not going to have to you know, be moving around nearly as much.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't love the offensive line group right, right here. No one, no one that I feel like is uh coming in right. Even even uh lifer Jonah Williams. I don't. I th- I think he's probably going to be a fine pro, but I don't. I don't think that I'd be. Yeah, I don't think surging he's got, like, him all
0: pro potential
1: on him. Yeah, but Barton's got you that A good
2: a good uh um feisty, scrappy Twitter argument uh to, to monitor if you're just looking for uh to, to be frustrated about something uh watch the the twitter the twitter scouts argue with the o-line gurus about whether or not arm length matters <laughs> in an offensive tackle <laughs> like jonah williams 33 and eighths arm or something coming in shorter than the ideal 34 and a half inches set off a firestorm of twitter hot takes from the O-Line Mafia and the Twitter Scout Mafia. It It
0: matters.
2: (laughs) All right, so we know which side of the the debate Tom Fernelli's on. Dig in there. Dive in. Jump in the water.
0: No, but it
1: matters. I'm going to keep that Twitter fight at my, I'm going to guess, 27 and a quarter inch arm distance away.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All I'll say is that when you're not allowed to grab and pull being able to make contact before the other guy contacts you is a bonus.
1: Okay, that's fair. And uh, to your Mac to the Mac Wilson point, um, I I don't think Mac Wilson was the best linebacker on Alabama's team this year. I think the best linebacker on Alabama's team is coming back next year. Where's number thirty two, and his name's Dylan Moses, and he will be hot worth take. hot take. That's, that's, it's not that hot of a take. Um, all right, bring all of your complaints about our draft takes to twitter where we love to interact with you the listeners uh you can follow him on twitter at tom Fernelli. you can follow him at barton simmons you follow me at chip underscore patterson Uh, the three of us will be back soon to talk about which one of your favorite teams will be falling off the cliff next year so make sure that you subscribe so that you can get it first give us five stars and a friendly review Uh, if you have not done that already we appreciate the ones who have we think that you are a five-star prospect as a listener. We'd like a five-star review. That's all we ask for. Uh, Four, Tom Barton, I'm Chip. Thanks very much.